0: Amen, you can be seated. What a great reminder, huh? Good morning, brothers and sisters, Centennial family. Welcome, so good to see you this morning and a special welcome to our guest. I'm glad to have you with us as well. Hopefully, there's a connection card in front of you. I wanna pray for some in our church family this morning before we open God's word. And uh, if you're our guest this morning, uh, we'd love to pray with you too. There's a place on our connection card for prayer requests. You can also do that online on our CC app. Uh, but we'd love to pray uh, for you, pray with you. There'll be a chance for you to be prayed for at the end of the service as well as we partake of uh, communion. Let me name a few specific prayer requests. Uh, Some of you know Dan Ferguson, one of our own, has been uh, battling within the last couple months uh, pancreatic cancer. Uh, Hoping to connect with Dan this week, but I want to continue to keep him before us to remind us to be in prayer for Dan. Also, um, Ellen Holtz, uh, wife of Scott, one of our elders, is in New York this week, caring, caring for mom. Uh, lost her father about a week or a couple weeks ago, and Ellen's mom has a pretty, um, pretty bad, pretty um, difficult uh, Alzheimer's dementia. And so it's 24/7 care right now uh, for Ellen's mom. So be please be in prayer for Ellen and her family and and her mom as they adjust to life without dad and. And to this illness as well. I know uh, many have gone back to school, dropped students back at college, and so uh, continue to pray for those adjustments and for moms and dads and, uh, and sad moms and dads too as, as those, transes- those transitions have uh, taken place. What else am I missing? Oh, uh, Mr. Krebsbach. Where did Mr. Krebsbach go? Uh, as, as well, his, his uh, mother, right, is... Um, Took a fall last night, also dealing with Alzheimer's. feel like this story is, I'm just hearing more and more often. Uh, so be in prayer for uh, the Krupsbach family and grandma and care up in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. So um, before we open God's word with those things in mind, would you join me? Would you pray uh, with me as we uh, come to the ward? Father, um. Hearts are heavy this morning. There are burdens. There are stresses. There's grief, worry, financial hardship, relational conflict, disease, and cancer. God, we thank you for this reminder this morning that you're good. In spite of the broken world, you're good. And you have come into this world in Jesus to bring a new kingdom, to save us from this brokenness and sin, and that we look forward to the hope that we have through Jesus coming again. Lord, we pray for the Holtz. We pray for the for Dan Ferguson and family. We pray for the Krebs box. We pray for many uh, students who are back at college, those that are uh, back in school here. We pray for moms and dads. We pray for our brothers and sisters, uh, like Pastor Philippe, who is with us last Sunday night and your global church Lord Uh, we pray for the churches in our area Lord that you would be working mightily uh, in our own backyard here in Collin County and Denton County and uh, beyond Lord God as we open up your word I pray that you would help me to be accurate I pray that you would help me to preach with boldness what is your truth and to forget things that are unhelpful or not of you And I pray, Lord, that each heart here this morning would hear what we need to hear. Holy Spirit, we invite you in these moments to illuminate the truth and to apply it to our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Acts chapter 2. And I uh, want us to read, beginning in verse 40, we'll go all the way down through Acts two forty-seven to set up. This will be our primary text this morning, although we'll be jumping around a bit here in a moment, but join me uh, as I read, follow along, Acts 2, 40 through 47. This is kind of the forming of the first church in Jerusalem. Peter's been preaching, and it picks up in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. We live in a unique time and a unique place. I think about just the power and the information that we have literally at our fingertips, right? Uh, To find something, to research something, to ask a question. I remember... Uh, As a kid, making that trek, if we needed information for research or whatever, making that trek to the local library. And then first step at the local library was to what? To the Encyclopedia Britannica, where we had to know our alphabet and find the right volume to get out and begin to get that information on spiders or technology or whatever it was that we want. And now, it's right there. She has the answer for us, doesn't she? She always does. Maybe not. The power in our hands. Uh, my kids look at me bewildered when I tell them about the olden days when we would uh, go to a football game on Friday night and we would, we would plan with our friends at lunchtime or in class or whatever, hey, meet me in front of the stadium 15 minutes before the game right out by the fence, and then we would arrive a relatively the same time, or, or someone might be lagging, and so we're waiting on someone before we go in the stadium that hasn't yet arrived, and, and what do you do if you don't have a cell phone, you know, to say, where are you? Well, you go over to the paid telephone, you put a quarter in there, and you... Call whoever's missing. Hey, mom, Brett's mom answers the phone. Where's Brett? Oh, he, he just left five minutes ago. He'll be there in about 10 minutes. So what do you do? You're losing your seat. You're waiting for your lagging friend to get there as you rally the troops to go in uh, to the game. And kids just look at me like, wow, that's really boring. And that must have been really hard back in the old days. You know? Everything uh, where we live today... Where you and I live, no matter what city you're in, what zip code you're in, this general area, uh, it's amazing how new, how shiny, how uh, loud, um, how new, how sorry, I did not mean to embarrass you, Adam. Uh, how new, how shiny, how uh, just smooth everything is where we live, Right? Think about the places you go. Think about the places you eat. What, what in this area that you regularly visit is older than 15 years old? You know, what restaurant, what school? This building is actually 15 years old, I guess, right? Scott, someone check me out. That's right. But everything is new. And, and as my family, as we travel to see family up, you know, yonder in Oklahoma, and we drive through these small towns, my kids are like, ew, this is dirty, you know, the roads are bumpy and doesn't look very nice and did I say my kids I meant me Uh, uh, but but we are newness and and options and shininess and things that look nice are all around us so you just think about our options today some of you are thinking about right now what are we going to do after church well we want tacos well just think about the options that we have okay we've narrowed it down to tacos or chicken perhaps that doesn't that doesn't narrow it down at all a plethora, I have half a dozen taco places that I'd go to today, you know, no problem. It's just a matter of ranking them. We are a place of options. Last, uh, yesterday morning, we drove around and went to see a friend's new home and we decided we'd just kind of go in the model home house there in the new neighborhood, right? Because we're always, you know, snooping around, always interested to see what's going on, what the other options are. It's just kind of who we are where we live, right? It's beautiful, Gorgeous options. And everybody's trying to get to North, North Texas, aren't they? Everybody's coming here, and the housing market here is like no other. And I'm told that in India, there are signs about Frisco, Texas. Move to Frisco, Texas. Everybody's trying to get here, right? Had a meeting with some uh, fellow ministers, pastors in the area a couple weeks ago. There's three new church plants opening just right around the corner, or right in this area uh, in months to come. Everybody's trying to get to to Frisco. Everybody's trying to buy a house in Collin County. Some neighbors on our street have recently got great deals and sold their houses, and they're moving farther north, right, where you can get a bigger bang for your buck. You've heard of house hunters, right? House hunters, popular show. Maybe some of you haven't. Have you ever heard of church hunters? Check this out.
1: Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters.
2: We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating.
1: Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like, for us, just not really doing it for us, you know?
2: Right, I I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen, it's just...
1: Okay, you cried during Cake Boss. So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts, there are a lot of preachers we do like.
2: Really good, but we want we want serious, yet funny.
1: Yeah, like commanding of the stage, yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know?
2: We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick.
1: Hey guys, what's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, that's wow. good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. It's frayed, oh. no. Okay, got kind of it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Right, okay, come on. Let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's yeah. a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends, okay. but here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name.
2: No. I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just...
1: Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Can't now remember, it's pretty traditional here, so when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down, you know, But the one knock on this church—they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Uh, Yeah, or as the moms like to call it, the sanctuary walk of shame.
2: Mm, (laughs) The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for For us.
1: us. I mean, the pastor's main point—157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are gonna love this place. I like it. We do. We like it. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse. You know.
2: Um, scripture-heavy sermons? Oh, yeah. So, yeah? yeah. What about, uh,
1: is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great.
2: Oh, women in ministry?
1: The parking situation, you guys got to see it. Super rare nowadays.
2: Can yeah, like a, a maybe for when my parents come into town, yeah. for a church for Christmas. Easter type of church. Like a holiday Holidays. type church.
1: One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join.
0: Perfect.
1: Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. you just, just going to put that out there? Hey, God like knows that? your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church
0: Hunters, I think you're really going to love this place. They... You like that? Well, it's, uh, it hits pretty close to home, doesn't it? It's uh, pretty funny. John Christ, if you want to Google him, YouTube, some pretty hilarious stuff. We live in this area with options, with choices, and with phones that can bring us great sermons from all around the country or videos that are inspirational, and we have so much right in our backyard, and so many churches, and so many options, and everywhere you go, there's more, and better, and shinier. Last night, we went uh, over to the Star, We met some neighbors over at the Star, and uh, here we are in a place of options, restaurants, city works, me casino, lots of restaurants I can't pronounce the names to, and uh, Options and money and convenience and consumer retail all for us to pick and choose from. and what happens to us when we swim in that water and then we come to the church? They had uh, the movie, Remember the Titans on the big Jumbotron. You know that movie? I love that movie. It was a great movie, and people are there on, you know with picnics and lawn chairs and we're watching uh, remember the Titans. We see a cowboy football player. We get an autograph. You know, here's this larger-than-life celebrity uh, person. You know what made me mad about that Jumbotron uh, out there at the Star is that it makes my media room at home and the $100 projector that I got from Walmart really not satisfy me. It makes me want more. And that's the area that we live in of options and convenience and consumer goods. A couple weeks ago, I was with my kids, we stopped off at moo Burger. Love moo ya Burger. I shouldn't have said their name. Uh, and we have to wait five minutes. We're the first in line and we have to wait five minutes before we give our order. And I go in the bathrooms and the, the bathrooms are messy and there's a mop and a mop bucket out in the hallway. And they get our order messed up. And what do I do? I immediately, when we get back in the car, when I, we get back in the car, I immediately get on Twitter and I tweet ya" and say, this location is terrible. And then I feel shame that I'm that guy. I'm that consumer. But what happens when we have that kind of mindset and we live in this area and we have all this convenience and all this stuff that we can shop for and decide from and we, we swim in that water and we bring that mentality To church, to bear on God's family. How can that not affect us? Maybe you've heard the story of uh, the fish, the schools of fish, and as they're swimming around in the water one morning, the uh, old school fish, the kind of elders of the fish, are floating around, and the young bucks, the the new school of fish, swim by. And the old school says to the new school, uh, How's the water this morning? And the young fish say, water? What the heck is he talking about? Because they don't realize the new school, they're in water. They're swimming in water. It's just what they're accustomed to. It's just all around them and they don't even see the water. And sometimes I think in the culture that we live in, we just don't see the water that we swim in. We don't see what we drink from day in and day out in terms of our desires and our options and what's shiny and what's new and what will meet our needs. And then we come to the church. My goal this morning in this message is to do this. My goal this morning is to show you that the local church is a bigger deal to God than it typically is to us. The local church and our involvement in it and our service to it is a bigger deal to God than it typically is to us. And the metaphor is not of consumers, but the metaphor is of brothers and sisters and servants. But we got to talk about this because it's the water that we swim in. One of my favorite pastors, authors, commentators is John Stott. And if you've been here as we've studied the book of Acts or the book of Romans, you know that I often quote John Stott. And John Stott is not given to exaggeration. He's known to be a very pre- precise writer, but well-balanced in the way he thinks. Listen to what John Stott says about the church in one of his books. He says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly an unchurched Christian." The New Testament knows nothing of such a person for the church lies at the very heart, the very center, excuse me, of the eternal purpose of God. Do you believe that? Have you thought about that? My aim this morning is to show you that the local church is a bigger deal to God than it typically is to us. And already I can see that perhaps the psychological walls have come up. as, Hey, you know, I love Jesus, but let's not, let's, let's not put all our eggs in the church basket, okay? I can get behind Jesus, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you're here this morning, okay? But I think we need to be pushed on this a little bit because the church is not just something that man has invented. It's not just something that pastors came up with to have livelihood or have status or buildings or things like that, but the church is at the center of the plan and heart of God. It's his mechanism for work in the world. And it's the, the laboratory for our growth. And you're thinking, a man I, and many of us here could say, ah. but look at the scandals we see at the church just this week. Think about the scandals that you're hearing about in the Catholic church, cover-ups and abuse and lack of integrity. I mean, let's, let's love Jesus, but let's kind of cool it with this talk about the local church. And so you've had experiences perhaps where your junior high youth pastor had an affair with a secretary or the church treasurer embezzled thousands of dollars from the church or the worship pastor had an affair or you watched this church that you love split right down the middle, the two churches, a church of 800 people split right down the middle to 400 in one church and 400 in the other church. And those aren't your stories. Those are just my experiences this morning of the local church. And Ross, you're telling us we have to love this thing and be devoted to this thing called the local church? Yes. Look with me again in Acts 2, verses 41 and 42 primarily, the text we just read earlier. The church is forming. It's going to be the normative mechanism for God's work throughout the world. And if you look in verses 41 and 42, uh, take note of the verb order here. They they hear the message that Peter's been preaching all in Acts chapter 2, and it says, if you look in verses 41 and 42, it says, those those so those who received his word, you might underline received, that's the first verb, they received his word, were then baptized, underline baptized, and then next verb, added that day. Added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church underline added and then verse 42 you see the last of the four verbs i want to point out to us devoted these these people that were gathered together they received peter's word they accepted christ they were then baptized publicly and then it says they were added to the group they were added to the church and then finally they devoted themselves to the church that was their response and sometimes we get this absolutely backwards in life. Some of us come to into life and you grew up in a church and you were devoted to church, but you never really received Christ from the beginning. You were just kind of playing church. Or maybe you got baptized first and then later you received Christ or something like that. Maybe you were added to the church before you received Christ. But the normative order here is that they received the word. They were then baptized. They were added to the church. And then it says they didn't just date the church. They didn't just shop the church, but they were devoted to the church. And we'll talk about those four things that they were devoted to. The local church is a bigger deal to God than it typically is to you and me. And God's design is that each of us, whether it's this church, we've got a membership seminar tonight at 5 o'clock. If you don't come to this one and you're visiting churches, find a church and devote yourself to it. It takes weeks. It takes some time. But at some point, you quit dating and you devote yourself to a local church body. And the expectation of the New Testament is that anyone that's following Jesus is intimately, intricately involved in a local fellowship of believers. Well, can't, Ross, can't I just kind of do those things out on my own? Can't I just kind of have coffee with other believers or do a Bible study with guys that I work with or something? Flip with me. Oh, we're going to jump around a little bit here. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is not a chapter that you go to often. I doubt that many of us have it underlined, but if you look at the first, O. Oh, 9 verses or so, 9 or 10 verses, you see this thing that's happened in this church in Corinth is is not good. It's not a good report here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And look with me, we'll skim along here, uh, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you within this church of Corinth. It is reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. I mean, you guys are so uh, worldly, so impure that you've got stuff going on that isn't even happening among the pagans for what's happened. For a man has his father's wife. Someone is sleeping with his mom or his stepmom. Verse 2, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from among you. Let's go on to the next uh, verses there. I wrote to you in my, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, or reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even eat with such a one. Okay, again, not verses that we typically underline in the New Testament. But here's what's going on. You think you've been part of a messed up church? Meet Corinth. And they've got such problems. They're suing one another. They're divisive. They're splitting over personalities. And they've got this one guy who's sleeping with his mom, and they're just not even concerned about it. They're so tolerant, they're bragging about it. And Paul's words here is, you got to kick that guy out. And so here's my argument. If Paul can write to a church and say, kick somebody out, doesn't that imply that first of all, they have to be in? Like to be kicked out, you first of all have to be brought in, right? And that was the understanding in the early church, that you, were bab- that you received the word, you were baptized, and you were a part of this church. You gave yourself in devotion to a family. And if need be, there are times when we have to discipline those within the family. But in order to be kicked out of the family, you first of all have to define who's in the family. Thus being a member or a brother and sister in the family. Here's my argument. If you are not an intricate member of a family... A family of faith, a local church. There are some parts of the New Testament you are not able to obey. For instance, here's a great benefit. James chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. Read this one and I hope that you will take advantage of this if this is your church home. James 5.13 5, 13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, let me tell you, or let me ask you a question. If you are not a member of a church, whose elders do you call to pray for you when you're sick? That's one of the gifts of of the body, and it's one of the things we want to do more frequently here as a church family. If you're not a part of a local church, who do you, what elders do you call when you're sick? You just go knock on a church door and say, elders, pray for me? The, the assumption here in James, as he writes to these churches who are in the diaspora, spread out through the Roman world, is that each of those churches would have elders that would care for the body and pray for the body. Let me take you to another one. Hebrews 13, 17 Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, will give, those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And now you're thinking, wow, Ross, that's really subtle, you know, bring, bring this passage up about obeying your leaders. I'm not talking about the obedience part of it, okay? You can read that later and discuss that on your own time. Here's, here's the part that uh, is a question for me as a church leader, for our staff, for our elders. It says, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, here's the question for me and for others in our church leadership. Who will I give an account for? Anybody who walks through these doors? Any believer in Frisco or Collin County? Someone that comes here four or five times or comes for six months and then leaves, will I be held to an account for how I've cared for those souls, how our church has led them spiritually? I don't think so. I think I'll be held to an account for those who say I want to be shepherded by this body and by these elders. And that makes me think, Wow, don't know how many more souls I want to be accountable for. Flip with me to First uh, Peter. Actually, these will be on the screen if you don't want to. I'm, I'm trying to build the case here for the idea that, that church membership and involvement in the local church body is just implicit throughout the New Testament. First Peter 5.5. 5. Here's one, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And in a similar vein, 1 Thessalonians five twelve. we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, if you're a believer and you're reading your New Testament and you come to 1 Peter 5, 5, and it says, be subject to the elders, and you're not a member of a church, you're not intimately involved in a local church, who, which elders do you have to be subject to? What, subject, what elders are you gonna be subject to if you're not a member of a local family? Well, I'm just gonna kind of be uh, submissive to older people because that's what elders are. Be submissive to those older, those elders. Well, if you go back and read 1 Peter 5, in the first couple of verses, he's, he's addressing elders. He says, I, I charge you as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God. He's talking about elders, an office and a position in the church. And then he says, be subject to the elders. And so if you're not intimately involved, a member of a local church, who do you subject yourself to? Who do you expect to be led from, led by? When Elizabeth and I first got married, we uh, lived in some apartments over here on McDermott and we would get up and work out uh, in the morning and we'd get to the kind of apartment gym there, and as we would uh, work out, there would be a few young guys that would come in about uh, dark 30 when we did and uh, work out with us. And when they weren't in their workout clothes, they wore little badges that said, Elder John, and they rode bicycles. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Elder, Elder John and, and Elder Bobby, they're elders. Now, do I have to be subject to those elders, those 15-year-old elders? I don't think so. Do I have to be subject uh, and and let lead me the elders down the street? I don't think so. It's the elders of the church that you're a part of. How about this one? How about Westboro Baptist Church up in Kansas, the one that pick the ones that picket all the funerals? They have elders. Do we have to be subject? Listen to those Looney Tunes? I hope not. The case I'm building here is that the New Testament has this idea that you don't just believe in Jesus and then go about your way. You believe in Jesus and then you're brought into a church family. Where you're cared for, where you're led, where you're taught, where you're nourished, where you're instructed. And so let me use this transition here to introduce to you Paisley May. Paisley May Parks was born on Friday to Jonathan and Kelly. And Jonathan he sent, me this, sent me this picture and he said, I know you never forget height and weight, so just tell them that she was 6'3 and 175 pounds. She was actually 8 pounds and 5 ounces, I remember Jonathan, 19.5 inches. That's Paisley May. Mom and everybody, brother and sister, Doing well. We may want to care for the parks in the coming weeks, coming months as a church family, right? Here's been my experience. What's your experience been? When a baby is born, ordinarily that baby is born into a family. And if that family then disappears or that baby is neglected, they are put into another family. But ordinarily, normatively, babies are birthed into families for their protection, for their growth, for their nourishment. And the New Testament talks about spiritual birth and it likens it to birth, and that babies are born and then brought into a church family where they can be protected and cared for, and have brothers and sisters that they fight with and that they squabble with and that they love like brothers and sisters do. That's the norm. So flip with me back again to Acts chapter 2, where we see this description of dwelling together. We see this description of community lived out in the early church, and verse 42 says they devoted themselves. They didn't find Jesus and then go about their way, show up next Christmas or next Easter, but they devoted themselves. They didn't date a church, but they gave themselves to a family. They devoted themselves. What does devoted mean? Dictionary.com. Zealous or ardent in attachment. Loyal or affectionate. Zealous or ardent in attachment. They devoted themselves to Jesus, and they also devoted themselves to the family of God. Synonyms, faithful, constant, loyal? Does that describe your view and your understanding, your practice in the local church? I'm kind of stepping on toes here this morning, aren't I? You thought, hey, this this Dwell Together uh, series, you know, is going to be, you know, about community and just hugs and high fives and holy kisses and stuff like here. And I'm kind of getting in the kitchen, stepping on our toes a little bit. Though I am kind of also preaching to the choir, zealous, ardent in attachment, loyal, affectionate. Are you devoted? Would your kids say you're devoted to God's family, to God's church? What did they devote themselves to specifically? He says four things there. He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, or some of your translations might say the apostles' Doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, four things. Some some commentators I read have said that this is really two things. It's the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and then the breaking of bread and prayers are descriptors of fellowship, okay? Take it whichever way you like, you still list four things that they, they are devoted to. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, it's commonality. It's sharing with someone in something. The commonality, the breaking of bread, most commentators take that to be the Lord's table that was regularly practiced as they gathered together. Why can't I just have church on my own at the office with my People, my, my buddies at Starbucks, why can't we just kind of call that church, church, the local church now, it's, it's outdated, it's overdone, it's kind of behind the times. We'll just gather at Starbucks and we'll drink coffee, we'll talk about the scriptures, we'll pray for one another. Now let me see, be so bold as to say this. If you have a church that doesn't have elders or deacons, that doesn't practice First Corinthians chapter 5, that doesn't baptize people, that doesn't practice the Lord's table, you don't have a church. You might have a Bible study, you might have some really great friends, but you don't yet have a church. So I had a seminary professor who said, when does a group of Christians become a church? And his answer was, when they start calling themselves the church and doing what the church does. The breaking of the bread The prayers, the four strategies that we talk about at Centennial Church are are built around this passage. We say it like this, we're centering lives on Jesus Christ through genuine community, authentic worship, biblical teaching, and holistic mission. And I would argue that all four of those things are found in these seven verses here. Authentic worship being prayer, and you see later in the passage that they're praising God, They're breaking bread together. They're singing and praising God together. So the early church didn't uh, just come together for 75 minutes, sing, and then go about their week or say, see you next Christmas or see you next Easter. Maybe we'll have the whole family there then but they continued this life of worship together. If you look down, we won't take time to look there, but verses 44 and 46, two times it says that they were together. All who believed were together. Day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together. Thus our theme, dwell together. And then verse 46 and 47, you see this repetition of day by day. Day by day attending the temple together. Praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number day by day. You also see this this toggle back and forth between they they gathered at the temple they attended the temple together which is like the formal big gathering but it also says that they met together in homes which is the small and the informal and they're breaking bread or sharing food together in those small home group settings so we have the big fellowship and we also have the small groups and today after service we're going to have this group connect You want information about our community groups, you can go out in the lobby and you can get information about when they meet, which ones are open, how they do their studies, things like that. So you can meet beyond Sunday mornings to connect with others who are also following Jesus and trying to devote themselves to him and devote themselves to one another. I think I've made my point, right? Right? When Jesus started the church, and let me say again, the the church was Jesus' idea. Matthew 16, 18, I think we have this one on the screen, these famous words. Peter, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, And Jesus says back to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Jesus Formed and built and loves the church. And he says, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Which means there's still need, there's still a place, and God's still at work through churches. And they're not relegated because now we have podcasts, but they're not unnecessary because now we have YouTube or Netflix and we can just stay home and watch it on TV but there's still this need and still this expectation of God that we be a part of a local church. To center our lives on Jesus together. So here's the application this morning. I want to leave you with this question. To what are you devoted if your kids, if your coworkers, if your neighbors had to say, this, this is what the BBs are devoted to, this is what the Smiths are devoted to? This is what the Joneses are devoted to, what would they say? And would church be in the in the list? What were you what would your kids say you're devoted to? How is that devotion expressed? Is it expressed with your time? Is it expressed with your talents? Is it expressed with your resources, with your generosity, with the way you open your home? What are you devoted to? We need one another. And someone in this congregation needs you. For you to encourage them, for you to come alongside them. So, maybe you need to take a step today to go out and talk to someone at the Group Connect tables. Maybe you need to join us tonight at 5 o'clock for membership orientation. Maybe you're not ready to say Centennial Church is the place, but I encourage you if it's not here, find some place, find some family that you can be devoted to. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you have given us life, that you've given us hope, that in Jesus, you have given us a savior, the payment for our sins, the promise of the coming kingdom, and we thank you that in this birth, you have not only given us life, but you've given us a new family, whether our biological family, our earthly family is great or troubled, that you've given us this extended family, the church. And Lord, I pray that as Centennial Church, Lord, we would embody, that we would demonstrate these things of Acts chapter 2. God, make us a church like that church. Make us unique. Make us different from the world. Help us to reach our world together. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we celebrate at the table this morning, I want to invite our servers to go ahead and come forward as we begin to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, and as they come forward and take their places, I want to give you just a moment to close your eyes, to do business with the Lord, to reflect for just a minute, and then I will say a word and pray for us. come to the table this morning not to celebrate achievement or success but to celebrate sacrifice Jesus sacrifice for us that brings us into not an organization alone but a family through his blood we are to be devoted to him and to the church because our savior devoted himself to us he bled for us What other God, what other idol in our life has spent himself for us, bled for us? All other gods, all other idols require us to give ourselves to them. And our Savior gave himself to us through his body, through his blood. So we come this morning to the table to celebrate his sacrifice. Not as consumers, but as brothers and sisters in his family. Pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your love for us demonstrated not in word alone, but in deed and through the very giving of your broken body and your blood shed on the cross so that we could be a part of your family, the only family, the only institution that will ring throughout eternity and kingdom come, your church. Jesus, as we partake this morning, refuel our faith strengthen us, send us out of here as brothers and sisters and as ambassadors for you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, amen. Come and celebrate at the table.